Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. As a small business owner, you are the business, and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple, and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance, and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business, and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian PowerPay. Applications are now open for the Canadian Export Challenge, CXC 2020, presented in partnership with UPS, the Trade Commissioner Service, and Export Development Canada, along with MasterCard and Scotiabank, and powered by Google Canada, is the first nationwide fully digital pitch competition for Canadian exporters. This year, the Canadian Export Challenge will be accepting all first-round pitches through online video submissions. Don't miss your chance to pitch for up to $25,000 cash and up to $100,000 in support. What are you waiting for? Submit your pitch video now. The free events are open to attend for all Canadian entrepreneurs and anyone interested in learning more about the Canadian export ecosystem. Register at startupcan.ca forward slash CXC. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the National Entrepreneurship Columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit Magazine, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and will share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Portia Astley, founder and CEO of PX Venture Services, Inc. in Toronto. Portia is a thought leader, serial entrepreneur, an engineer, and a certified executive coach. She has built international businesses in wearable tech, online education, and influencer marketing. She's passionate about increasing the rates of startups, so she's currently the founder and CEO of PX Venture Services, which helps startups of all kinds scale new lines of revenue. PX has advised and consulted over 200 companies on capital, customer acquisition, and the founder's mindset, and I'm looking forward to talking about that. Institutions, incubators, and accelerators seek PX Venture Services to build a results-oriented entrepreneurial curriculum to help their portfolio companies grow. Welcome to the show, Portia. 
Thank you so much for having me here on the show today, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're it's we're delighted to have you here because you can help our listeners make money, and that's that's a beautiful thing. Just to get things started off, to make sure that we set our uh, listeners' expectations properly, what do you think are the top insights or pieces of advice that you'd like uh, entrepreneurs to take away from this conversation today? Rick, I am very much looking forward to our conversation today. My goal is to empower entrepreneurs and community members of Startup Canada to prioritize building a customer-centric business. This is my main piece of advice, and I cannot wait to distill how by sharing my journey entrepreneurship along with some actionable tips. Well, then let's go off off script for a minute and drill right down on this. What's a customer-centric business? Customer-centric business is when entrepreneurs come up with an idea to solve a particular pain point or problem, and when they go and develop the product, the solution, it's working with the customer to build that. Well, so tell us about the entrepreneurial journey that you're on. Uh, you, you've been involved in wearable tech and education, influencer marketing. You've been consulting in the Philippines, I think. So explain this journey that you're on and how it's led you he- here to, to PX. Of course, more than happy to to share this journey. So. What inspired me to become an entrepreneur is my innate desire to have, to leave a global legacy and deliver tr- transformative impact. Uh, I'm an adventurous person and love to embrace new challenges and new opportunities. So as a, a career as an entrepreneur does three things for me. One, it consistently pushes me out of my comfort zone. Uh, two, it enables me to become the very best version of myself. And three, doing this while adding tremendous value to the world. There are three key past entrepreneur experiences that enabled me to be where I am today as a founder and CEO of PX Venture Services with a mission of scaling innovative companies. My my first tech venture was a spin out of Cambridge University, where I was pursuing my master's degree. My co-founder and I had a mission to increase accessibility for visually impaired people. So we set out to build a wearable assistive device that would act like a human guide. I was very fortunate to be selected as one of the 30 that Cambridge University endorsed for startup visa in the UK and provided a lot of resources and facilities for my team to prove the concept, test with users, build a go-to-market strategy. I'm happy to say the IP for our business is alive within another company in Asia. Um, So that was one of my ventures. The second one, um, while I was doing this, I had a lot of people approach me and say, wow. You got into an elite global MBA program. How did you do it? I'm at McKinsey with 98th percentile in GMAT, and I keep getting rejected. (laughs) So for a short period, I actually released um, an online program to help mid-level and ambitious managers to get into their dream business school. Uh, When when it was live, this product served customers uh, across almost 10 countries, typically mid-managers at multinationals. So that was my my second entrepreneurial experience. So, sorry, so so explain this for me a little bit. I've never applied to Cambridge Business School, um, so that, that's pretty hard to get into, I guess. Generally, um, top fifteen elite business school has uh, acceptance rate of, of one out of ten. One out of ten. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so 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 
just in case there's any any listeners who would really love to crack uh, Cambridge or Oxford or Wharton or Harvard, uh, what's your advice for, for that? So to, to get into these top business school, it's really important to actually, the first thing is I would say is take some time to to reflect on your past experiences and what contributed to um, to building who you are today. Those really key fundamental experiences, um, from from accomplishment to overcoming adversity. Overcoming adversity is very important. Um, that shows you've got resilience and tenacity, uh, and that can be in a way to demonstrate um, the skills you've got that you can bring back into the business world once you graduated. So spending some time alone to reflect on your past experiences and taking out those um, accomplishments and the way you tackled those adversity and being able to frame it in a way that has built you into a strong leader and a manager and, and be able to deliver more once you graduate um, is highly seen. Right. Um, what, what, what I like about that, and we won't, t- we, we won't take more than a few seconds on this, but, but, but what intrigues me there is that the implicit advice there is to seek out adversity. So you have those stories to tell. So some mm. people, you know, like to coast. Some people like getting into easy things. Oh, I can, I, I'm going to get a job here because it's, e- it's easy to get this job. I know somebody there or something, or I can do this job easily. But if you have ambitions to be accepted into certain rarefied institutions, it sounds like that's not the best thing to do. So seek out things that are hard, work really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, I, I think that's the secret. Yes. Yeah. Per- perfect. Sorry, you, the third step on your entrepreneurial path. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, and then one of the other ventures that I built is actually taking the same approach that I just advised is reflecting on my strengths. Um, I realized that something that my peers were constantly complimenting me is how I manage uncertainty and quickly adapting to new challenges, uncomfortable situations. So I went deeper into this and I realized that how these skills were formulated inside me is because of visiting more than 30 countries and living in seven countries uh, across Africa, Asia, Europe, and North America. So that that experience really contributed to building that skill set. And, and I was in, inspired by today's uh, digital age to share this experience and inspire people to, to travel to more, to develop their professional skills. So I started um, a for, for a time to, to build a micro community um, that reached a member of over 15,000 in less than a year. And then also looking into wearing a uh, entrepreneur hat, looking into commercializing this engine by working with brands on influencer campaigns. So during that time, I was working with brands from apparel such as George Watches to international brands like Intercontinental. And something really cool that also happened is um, I got so good at storytelling, negotiating deals that I even got um, my des- my destination wedding venue sponsored. Wow. <laughs> That's a win. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that, that, that's very exciting. So tell us the inspiration behind PX Venture Services. How did you determine that 
you had a skill that the market needed? Oh, thanks. That's a really good question. So there were two two things here that played a crucial role. Through each of these entrepreneurial experiences, I realized that my strengths became uh, commercializing customer-centric businesses. And I wanted to make this know-how more accessible to emerging founders in Canada. Two, it was that I learned 98% of businesses in Canada are considered as small business. So what small business by definition means um, less than 10 employees. So this told me two things. One, Canada is really great in building new businesses, but two, we needed a push to we needed to push to help companies enter new markets and scale internationally. Absolutely, that's the the big flaw is that we get comfortable at a certain level, and uh, and many many Canadian entrepreneurs and 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 you know for they got into business to accomplish something, and we don't want to push them too much more than they want to go. But for those who have the ability, who have the potential to scale, then it's absolutely vital that uh, that they do that to achieve their potential and the potential economic value and job creation for their communities. And it's essential that the community help them do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. And so you're asking me, um, how did I determine the need for, for this particular service? So this data motivated me actually to do something about this. I wanted to bring more Canadian companies to the global landscape, which will then, as you mentioned, result in more economic development and better lifestyle for, for our population. One thing that was clear from my past entrepreneurial experience was, again, building a customer-centric business, meaning taking my concept to market immediately um, without really working too much on the, the, the product. So what did I do? I started talking, specifically cold emailing leaders, making waves in the entrepreneurship space from nonprofit leaders to for-profit leaders that were doing innovative work in our entrepreneurship ecosystem. You know, Rick, I think I have cracked the code in cold emailing that I had Whoa. over 95% response rate. One fact that I recall, um, I wrote an email to the president of Tangerine Bank and I got a response directly within two hours. Wow. So, What's the secret? We can stop. <laughs> we, we get that done and we can stop. Our work is done. What's your secret? Can you share it? Yes, I can share. Um, it does involve some work. But first is um, being clear about your ask. Your ask. So it's really important to know what is it that you you want to ask, and then two, who has the answer to that, and then researching to see like who who can actually respond to that. And once you found who are the potential candidates, uh, the third step is researching about that person and getting to know as much as possible that that person. So you can craft a very personal email as if they're your best friend. Wow. Do you use LinkedIn for that? Um, I use LinkedIn. I, I just use like general worldwide web search to read articles, read a blog post they wrote, maybe watch um, some of their talks that are, that are on YouTube. Um, as much as I can find out about them, about the topics that are passionate, um, I really want them to feel that we're friends. 
we are we have connected before. That's very cool that we've connected more, before. Yes. Wow. So because if somebody you know you've connected before, you're more entitled, um, or you're more likely to respond back. To be clear, you're not pretending that you met at a conference somewhere. No, absolutely no. <laughs> not. No. no. So, so how do you make them feel like you're already friends simply because you appear to know a lot about them and sort of understand what makes them tick? Yes, yeah. For example, uh, if they wrote a blog and, um, and it really connected with me, I would actually say that. I would say genuinely, like, this is what I gained from your blog, and it really inspired me, and I had to um, connect with you and share it. This is how it inspired me. Right. So um, it takes a little bit of work, but it sounds like uh, yeah. it's worth doing. And it's interesting. It's interesting you say that. I had uh, lunch with an entrepreneur recently who's been in business for 20 years and has been quite successful. And he was complaining. And, and he's he runs this, an internationally award-winning company. And he was saying how hard it is to mm. get emails returned. Mm. And uh, so, so, you know, I'm delighted that people are still cracking the code on this one. Well, you can connect this entrepreneur with me and I'm more than happy to help. That would be very cool. I will do that. Thank you. So you got to get to talk to and, and get to know a lot of leaders in the community. How did that help you validate the need for the, serv- the, the, the growth and the revenue services that you bring to the market? Yeah. So when I started connecting with them um, from cold email, the next next action item I put there is to meet with them over coffee or tea and, and to share this vision about scaling ventures and um, majority of the people I've connected with, they felt that, yes, we need to do something more to uh, increase the success rate of our startups, get them from a startup to scale up. And so they felt right away connected uh, to my vision and they could see how my past experiences could contribute to um, building the scale engine. So before I incorporated, I already ended up securing my first set of clients. Those were incubators and accelerators that wanted to partner with PX. And that, in fact, was how PX Venture Services were born, completely customer-driven and customer-centric to, the mar- to address the market needs. That's fantastic. What does PX stand for? Um, P is my initial. And then okay. X. P for Porsche. Yes. <laughs> for Porsche. And then X, I was actually inspired from uh, TEDx. Um, so X would represent um, the, the ventures that PX gets to work with. Ah, okay. Mm. P to the power of X. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Um, so, 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 so PX calls itself your fractional growth officer. So, Tell me what that means. That sounds exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's fractional chief growth officer. Oh, sorry. Oh, chief growth. <laughs> of course, the chief growth officer, right? Yes. So what it means is that um, the chief growth officers are looking into scaling the revenue lines of uh, of. of companies and delivering massive transformational impact to the customer. So we not only understand what the customer needs are and communicating like the product language to the technical team, but also wear an integrated sales and marketing hat that uh, that enables us to be the revenue brain engine of a company to take a quote lead and convert it to paying customers strategically. 
Fantastic. Now you say we a lot. Do you have employees or associates? Uh, how big an organization is this? We're we're lean and small organizations, and the staffing is just typical of uh, of like the uh, our the clients that we work with. So it's based on client portfolios. Okay. Um, so tell me the secret. How can companies increase revenue? I guess they have to become more customer centric. But tell me how how that works. Performance, brain performance, and productivity is actually directly proportional to business growth. So one thing that we bring in here is actually you touched on earlier is the founder's mindset. So the founder's mindset is very much directly related to the brain performance and the productivity. Now, when you say the founder's mindset, is that... Like in capital letters, is that a thing? Or you're talking about the actual mindset of the of, of each individual founder is important and we've got to influence that? Yes, the individual founders. Okay, right. Yeah. And so what does that mean? Um, the world of entrepreneurship is very tough, right? So the fact that it's very risky, there is uh, chances of survival is one out of 10, there's a lot of unknowns for founders. Uh, they have to constantly negotiate for resources, um, make use of their available, uh, make best use of their available limited resources. And there is inv- inevitably maneuvering a lot of roadblocks and they hit a lot of no's. So these entrepreneurs, they need to have a thick skin to survive this journey. So to those who are actually listening to our conversation today, I want to give them hope. <laughs> Fortunately, building a thick skin is something that you can acquire. So here's how. My main recommendation is treat every experience as a learning opportunity. If an experience hurts, say to yourself, ouch, that hurt, but I have learned this and I'm ready to move on. This sentence is so powerful. Here is when you tell this to yourself, this is what it means. First, you're acknowledging that you've, and you're taking responsibility for what didn't go well. Second, uh, you're documenting your learnings. You're sharing that with your team so they don't repeat the same mistake. And third, you choose to move on. In an entrepreneurial world, there is no time to lament on failures and heartaches. The mindset is to remain agile and keep looking forward. I really like that. I, I, I And I love the simplicity of choose to move on, learn from it, acknowledge it, accept it, take responsibility for it, uh, analyze it, learn from it, and choose to move on. There, 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 there's a, 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 a beauty in that. Fantastic. Okay. If you're driving, don't try and write that down. Just listen to the podcast again later uh, when, when you get home. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right, right. So tell me about uh, a, a difficult part of your entrepreneurial journey and how you moved on. Yeah, so one of the most um, yeah difficult part of it is, um, like many entrepreneurs, is closing sales and is making um, closing sales much faster, especially when you are in a B2B world. The sales cycle is much longer than a B2C. Um, there's, again, there's a lot of uncertainties there. There's a lot of factor that plays in with B2B. There are often more than one decision makers uh, that wait in, uh, in for particular sale. So there is a lot 
of chances there. Uh, it requires to be resilient uh, and be able to uh, make decisions that enables me as an entrepreneur or any entrepreneurs who are doing their um, part of this sales cycle journey to be able to close deals much faster. So for me, what really helped me to succeed under uncertainty and making decisions much faster to, to move forward, I break it down to four steps. And I would love to share this to the listeners of this podcast today because I want to give them even more hope that I want to give them more hope that leading and making decisions on your own scenario doesn't have to be terrifying. Um, you can actually become really good at it. So these so, are four steps to what again? To becoming uh, good and making decisions under uncertainty. Right. Okay. So the first one is first acknowledging what is like, what is it the situation right now? So that means that um, if, if you don't have all the data, Acknowledge that, but also trust yourself that you can make the best decision possible based on existing information at hand. So acknowledge it and trust that you can make the best decision. The second step is learn to tap into your intuition. Your intuition often knows and can best guide your decision that is attuned with you as well as with the overall mission of your company. If you don't know how to best tap into your intuition, I highly recommend looking into additional resources online because there's lots of resources that can help you to better align with your intuition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's great. I, I know entrepreneurs tend to be very intuitive. And I think intuition is a tool that you can actually, as you suggest, you can learn more about and learn how to sharpen it and trust it. Absolutely. Yes. Um, the third step I recommend is it's very important to move forward, like move forward swiftly. As a business owner, the maybe zone can delay your progress and eat your limited resources. So it's best to make a yes or no decision, move forward with an action fast. It's super important to be on your feet and get things done. Like going back to my example that closing deals is actually the most important, but also one of the toughest things to do. But you can be stuck in the maybe zone for a long time if that other end, the person on the other end is not responding to you. They're not telling you whether they want to buy from you or, or where they don't want to. You'll be stuck in that maybe zone. So I always uh, ensure that I can quickly get to a yes or no answer as as soon as possible because that allows me to then move on move on to other activities that are pressing right and i and i love that i've heard of you know the twilight zone the phantom zone and the friend mm -hmm. zone i haven't heard of the maybe zone it did 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 you sort of invent that concept or did that come i from think Rome? so i think I, so. <laughs> I, I love it because as soon as you, as as soon as you say it, I think I know exactly what you mean, which is that terrible feeling you have when you don't have enough information to move forward. You don't have mm -hmm. the, co the confidence to stop and, uh, and you're stuck and you don't quite know what to do. There's an old story about the, the camel in the, de in the desert who came uh, through the desert after 40 days and then he saw two ponds and they were exact equal distance apart mm. whether he went left or right it was the same distance and he couldn't find a rational reason to choose one or the other because you couldn't because one was not better than the other mm -hmm. and so he died <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's, it's, oh. it's apocryphal no camels were harmed in the making of this metaphor but 
it, I think that's the maybe zone there. I just don't have quite enough information. And so how do, so do you just decide, okay, darn it, go for it to get out of the maybe zone? Yeah. So in some ways it's trusting all the information that you have right now to make a decision. You, you just got to make a decision, um, uh, with what you have. Um, I guess, you know, I can highlight another example. Uh, for example, when founders are h- hiring their first set of employees, mm-hmm. they've been interviewing so many uh, high potential candidates, but they decided to delay their decision making by a couple of months, maybe three months. So my recommendation here is you've interviewed them. You've got the data. It's best to choose someone to hire and see how they perform in the work. There is the probation period, so you can see based on you know a couple of weeks of performance, uh, and that's that's a valuable data you gain instead of waiting um, several months down the road to get this data of someone's performance. That enables you to move faster because if you waited three months to hire somebody versus just now, that means you actually had at least someone to help you to move the business forward. And the final one is you have to be um, open to learning experiences. So you got to, as I say, you trust yourself that you can do the, uh, you make the best decision under these conditions, but it's so important to be open to learning experiences. Um, And that means gathering the results from the decision decision you made uh, and then looking at the results to uh, help you propel forward. I really like that one as well. Um, my observation is a lot of entrepreneurs, certainly once they hit their 40s, they don't learn as well anymore because they think they've been there, they've seen it all, they've got the t-shirts, they've got the wounds to show it. And I think it's hard for them to be proactive learners. I think it's hard for them to do what you said earlier about, okay, go and if you want to get in touch with someone, go learn all about them and learn about their hobbies and everything and and. and really craft an, 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 an email that can't be ignored. There's a point where you're old enough, you've earned enough um, cred that you that a lot of entrepreneurs think they don't have to do this anymore. So I'm not trying to diss th- those people. I'm hoping most people, certainly the listeners of the podcast, probably don't suffer from that. Uh, but a lot of people do. And so for those entrepreneurs in their 20s and 30s who are avid learners, you've got to see that. Uh, they have to see that as... Uh, tremendous competitive advantage. You can learn. You can knock yourself out learning, and this will put you ahead of the competition, especially the people who've been around for a while and think they know how the industry works and aren't as attuned to the nuances and the changes in the marketplace. Yep. Absolutely agreed, Rick. Yeah. Okay. So you you mentioned about customer-centric, and I just want to drill down on that because there's a lot of def- definitions to that. I was associated with a company that that went through a phase of, okay, we're all going to be more customer-centric. And it was all about being close to the customer and putting their needs first and everything. But they didn't actually go to the... To, to, to the level where they said, we want to work closely with the customers in developing our products. But I think that's what you're talking about, right? Yes, definitely. And especially for early stage entrepreneurs, um, I want to highlight two, two, two different um, approaches that entrepreneurs take. I'm, and I'm journalizing this here, I know, uh, but that's, that's something what I typically see. One is um, customer-centric and another is investor-centric. And I really want to um, 
have a conversation around this and differentiate the two. So, okay, for, go for it. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Um, so, when first-time entrepreneurs feel passionate about a particular problem or solution, their likely next step is to develop a, a full-on solution. When they start developing the solution, they realize how much it will cost. And so that encourages them to start fundraising, which means going from one investor meeting to another. They are hustling to get in front of any investors and constantly refining their sales pitch to an investor just to actually please them. So this is an example of a startup that is investor centric when an entrepreneur is letting investors um, decision lead the business development, they actually risk losing focus and value uh, for delivering um, their promise to customers. So what happened is when, when they lose this um, value-driven output, it actually leaves the founders feeling frustrated. Um, they face decision paralysis and, and live in a lot of doubts. So that's what I mean by investor-centric company. The other uh, definition I have is the customer-centric company. So this type of entrepreneur, um, they are, again, passionate about their particular problem and solution. Uh, they see the next step as sketching out a concept and quickly going to market to see who will buy it. Once they have secured some demand, they develop it to fulfill that need. So to help the audience and the listeners to understand what I mean by some demand, I can give you a, an example of a product that we all very familiar with, that's Dropbox. So what Dropbox founders did is that they created an explainer video and they, they um, and then once they hosted that explainer video, they ended up collecting emails of those who were interested in this product. Within 24 hours, Dropbox had over 70,000 emails to Dropbox founders, yes, that's definitely foul, right? To Dropbox founders, that was enough traction to convince them to uh, build this product. So that's what I want to encourage our listeners today is let's learn from Dropbox. And there's countless of other examples there too, uh, is don't go and build a product, a full product, just sketch it out um, or have this thought developed in some form, but not fully and go to your market start talking to them. How do you make those relationships happening? How do you get, if, if you're starting out and you may not, may not even have much of a track record, how do you get a customer to say, yeah, we'll devote some of our scarce time and resources to helping you build the product because it might help us down the road. So how do you convince them of that? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, that's a that's a one type of customer, Rick, that sometimes, yes, they can be um, in a form of partner who can help to give you some resources. So you'll see that actually between industry and research collaboration, um, where resources are shared to build a particular product. Um, in some cases, if it's just industry oriented and the industry alone, they can uh, create the solution. Um, it's really about having confidence, being bold and hitting up people, hitting up meaning connecting with people um, 
through email or through phone or even asking to meet over coffee and tea and sharing this, hey, you know, I think you could benefit from this and having a conversation to see this particular solution that they think uh, the buyer would benefit, um, like, is it actually going to benefit them? Are they willing to pay for it? Um, or maybe the pain point is something completely different than what they first assumed to be. So they need to refine um, their concept before they even fully build it. So that initial engagement, um, it's very crucial. And in order to just get in front of those potential buyers, it's, it starts with researching from online to see like who are those people, like actual people with uh, that you can approach. You want to get their names, email address, and and um, and phone number, and be able to connect with them and have a conversation around this. So yes, it's really important. Going back to my initial tip is being good at cold emailing. Right, right. You see, it all comes together. We all planned it out this way particularly well, I thought. Um, <laughs> we're, we're nearing the end of our time, but I just did want, want to ask you, can we pull this all together? Could you give me, just tell me about an example where you've helped uh, a company uh, build this relationship and build a product in, 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 in uh, collaboration with a customer? You don't have to yeah. tell us anybody's names or anything, unless you want to. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the uh, our clients was in the the gaming industry, and they have a vision for building the coding skills as well as the 21st century skills like compassion and empathy of kids between the age of 6 to 12 um, through a very immersive and educational game. Um, and for that one, for what PX has done is, first of all, we ended up raising almost half a million uh, non-dilutive funds to go into the to development, also go to market strategy, and at the same time, stepping in as their chief growth officer built the full-on strategy to go to market plan, the pre-launch plan, uh, overseeing the execution. And so when it came to market, actually before coming to market, we've already had a wait list. So that was one of our strategy is getting customers just like what Dropbox did, getting getting their emails, knowing the people who actually really want to buy from it. And so when we released this game, we had um, we were oversubscribed within seven days. And I'm so proud of this example. So it does work. That's fantastic to know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, Thank you so much for this. It's been really interesting to, to have this chat with you and, and your particular view of the, the big challenges of a startup. And I think your concept of the uh, founder's mentality about being bold, being intuitive, acting uh, on your hunches, uh, you know, doing all the research, creating those warm relationships, um, you know, the leveraging the customers, uh, tremendous advice. And, uh, you know, it, this is all soft skill stuff. You, uh, so it's just, it's really important that founders and entrepreneurs of all kinds take time to do these things because um, leading a team and building a product is great, but uh, uh, it's 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 the context you create around it that is going to determine your success. Absolutely agreed. Okay. Do you have one last actionable piece of advice that entrepreneurs can take away from this conversation? Yes, absolutely. So this one is really important. And one thing we do as at PX is that um, we not only grow the revenue line of our, our portfolio companies, but we also focus on building the, the brain performance because we believe that brain performance equals business growth. So 
One thing I recommend to the audience today, one action you can take to increase your brain performance is take five minutes to recite to yourself all things that you're grateful for and, and feel that joy that it brings to you. Start today, start a gratitude journal, start listing things that, that all the great things that happened to you that are wonderful that you're grateful for. And thank the universe for, for bringing these people and events and opportunities and say, I am ready for more. Let greatness roll in and feel that it is coming. Investing in your brain performance increases your productivity, which enables you to be more clear, make better decisions faster and under uncertainty, which overall contributes to building a customer-centric business. And of course, that, that contributes to accelerating the growth of your business. That's fantastic. Can you help me understand? Is there? Is, I, I understand the gratitude movement, and I've always tolerated it, but never particularly bought into it. I'm afraid. But is there, what is the link between brain performance and gratitude processes like that? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this because there's actually a lot of scientific research that shows. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I do. I do have one reference. Um, so a study by U UCLA um, showed that regularly expressing gratitude changes the molecular structure of the brain, keeps the gray matter functioning, and makes us healthier and happier. I'm convinced. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. The uh, Starter Canada podcast doesn't normally give people homework, but I think there's some good sources of information that, uh, that, that Portia has, has pointed us to. So I hope you find time to check that out and please drop us a line and let us know uh, what you think. Portia Asley, PX Venture Services in Toronto. Thank you so much for taking part in this podcast and thank you so much for your support of Startup Canada. Thank you, Rick. It's been a pleasure. We'll talk again. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.